Our lesson today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 2 through 14. Hear now the word of God. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Welcome to worship, particularly if you're a guest here, welcome to worship. And also for our guests, just so you know, Dr. Matt over here often has, or usually has a choir, but it's July 4th weekend, not very many choir people around, some here, but also the summer we tend to give them a break. So um, forgive, don't forgive, just make you aware of that. And um, we're just glad if you're a guest, we thank you so much. There is a row near the back here that has a whole row of Fogelmans who snuck in, unheard of. Everybody, you know the Fogelmans, they serve as missionaries and have served around the world in various uh, places and in ministry. Will all the Fogelmans please stand up? Yeah, don't want to embarrass you, but so great to see all of you. What a gift you are. One of the crew is a member here and is here all the time helping us in the office and keeping us straight, and we appreciate But so good having all the Fogelmans here. And right almost in front of them are some folks very dear to me who have absolutely made my day today. Um, I spent Thursday and Friday helping my son and his fiance move from Boone to this area because his fiance will be going to graduate school at um, UNC. Anyway, <laughs> we're very proud of both of them. And so they're in transition right now. And uh, many of you have not met Grant, our youngest son, or Julia. And they're sitting back there with Jill. Okay, you two, uh, I know I'll pay for this, but you guys stand up and say hey to everybody. All right, that's Grant and Julia. And uh, 
We're excited because they'll be getting married in March of next year, and so we're really excited for them, and we get to have a party with family and friends, so we're looking forward to it. So I told them, they made me cry, because they've had a heck of a weekend trying to pack and move and all that, and then they, then they had to go to Durham this morning before they came here, and they've already done that, so I didn't expect it. So thank you guys so much. Well, Paul, well, let me, before I ask Paul, I've gotten right into the message, but wanted to ask you something. Have you ever really wanted something really, really bad? I mean, like, badly. You really wanted something. Like, you could just taste it, you wanted it, you know? Maybe it was a degree. Uh, uh, maybe it was that promotion. Maybe it was that award. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe it was a Fiat X19. I've told you about my Fiat X19. Those of you who've been part of it, it's a little... It's a sports, sports car, and it looks like a, a door wedge. It looks just like a door wedge. It's a Fiat X19, and I saw it, and I wanted it so desperately. I had a truck because my dad um, had a company that had trucks, and so for him, um, it was a company expense, and I got to drive a truck, and so, which I love my truck. But I saw that, and I thought, wow, I would really like to have that car. And so... I began to work on, Dad, I really, I thought, and the reason I wanted the car is I thought girls probably liked riding in a sports car more than they wanted a truck at that time. I know that's hard to believe for some of you, but there was a time when, when girls didn't want to ride in a truck. Now they want to own the truck. But anyway, uh, but, but so I just wanted it really bad. So Dad and I made a deal. If I, if I would save 500 bucks, which that was a boatload of money for a 17-year-old, save 500 bucks, he would pay the rest, so I saved the 500 bucks. I wanted that car so bad. How many of you know what a Fiat X19 is or looks like? Some of you do? Yeah, I showed Aldersgate because we had ability to do that, but I got in that car. It had brown leather interior. It was gorgeous. I love that car. It had a rear engine, and it was just uh, way cool, and um, so I got it. The fun part about driving a Fiat X19 is you drive it for a couple of hours and you work on it for four. <laughs> That's just the way it operated. And you usually saw, I learned a new word this morning, the frunk, F-R-U-N-K, up, because it didn't have a trunk, it had a frunk, the trunk was in the front. You usually saw it open, and you often see it open in pictures, I was astounded. It's because all the tools are in the front for fixing this car. But I wanted it so bad until I got it. And I'm like, where is my head? Why in the world did I ever want this car? I have never wanted another sports car again ever in my life. For those of you who have one, good for you. But I don't want one. I want a 1956 Chevy pickup. I'd, if you have one lying around, you can send it to me. I'd love to have it. You know, um, I just rednecks like me just love trucks, and I just love a truck. And, and uh, you know, the only difference to me and a regular redneck is I have an education and a little bit of fund, and so, but I still love my trucks. So when I grow up, I'm going to get me a truck, but an old one. But that's a different story. Brother Paul tells us, he says, I had everything 
I have the greatest education. I had everything going for me. I lived the life that I was called to live as a Pharisee. And he was a persecutor of Christendom because they were not following the guidelines of who they were called to be as good Jewish people, at least Jewish Christians. But Paul writes in this letter to the church of Philippi, and just outside the walls of Philippi, built into the hillside there, is like the city's theater. And the theater could hold 18,000 people, which is interesting because the town was estimated to be only about 10,000 people. Now likely it's added on to over the years since Paul. But still, it shows how people turned out for events at the theater, which will include events like citywide public meetings or dramas, plays. But the most popular thing that happened in theaters by far was the athletic events. In Paul's day, there was really one major sport, and that was track and field. It's really kind of how the Olympics, and they had the Olympics in those days, really got its hold into our world. No wonder Paul writes in, to the Philippians, and he used the language of running. Paul used this image often. In 1 Corinthians, he said, do you know that in a race all the runners compete? And to the Galatians, he wrote, you're running a good race. Who cut in on you? And Timothy, he writes, I have finished the race. I have kept my faith. And then to the Berlin, Burlingtonians, he writes, participate or volunteer in the Mission Man Triathlon in order to inherit the kingdom of God. And you can see David Hoxie in the very back where to find that verse, and he will tell you. So David, raise your hand so they'll know he's the man right there who can tell you where to find it. That's the kingdom of God. But anyway... But as you read, as we heard, we come to this analogy, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be a racing fan, a running fan, a track and field fan to know what Paul is talking about. The race is close, and those runners in a race are trained with every bit of energy they have to save to the very end. So when they get to the finish line or close, they can strain, they stretch out as far as they can, push every muscle in their being so they can cross the finish line, so they can beat the other people because it only matters by an inch. It just matters that you win. And so he says they're straining all they can to go across that finish line. All their training, all their hard work, all their sacrifice comes down to that moment that stretching as far as they can stretch to win the prize, to win the race. And what that image, what, with that image, Paul invites people to consider, what are we stretching for? What are we working to gain? What is the goal we're after? And when a goal is important to us, we'll do whatever it takes to reach it. We'll save $500 for that Fiat X19. We will sacrifice and stretch ourselves a person's goal might be to make a lot of money, and some people get so committed to that goal that they are willing to stretch the rules. They're willing to cheat a little bit and to do business equivalent of taking steroids because money is the goal. Some people have success as a goal. They aren't so concerned about money as they are the feeling of success. And you can have that goal in almost any area of your life. You want, can want to be a successful parent, and that's a noble and righteous goal, but you can start to stretch so far that you become controlling and domineering and maybe what they call a helicopter parent, and your kids might push you away. Some people might have the goal of pleasure in their life, 
However, I think the words Paul is trying to get us to understand is a little thing called a goal is as significant as the goal is good. We can strive really hard for things and discover there was something better worth striving for than a Fiat X19. In our text, Paul tells us how in his life as a Pharisee, he strove after all these things he thought were important, and then he met Christ Jesus and came to look at all those things as a bunch of skubala, S-K-U-B-A-L-A, skubala. It's a Greek word. I'm sure all of you know it. If you're wondering, for those of you who don't know, if you're wondering what that Greek word means, he's saying, I did everything right. I did everything I was supposed to. I did it to the letter of the law. I was a Pharisee above all. In other words, I was the most religious, right person you'll find, and I considered it all skubala. Well, it's a Greek word for um, sewer contents. It really is. It has a Greek word for dung, and it, it really is probably more equivalent to the word that just went through your mind that we can't say in church. That's that Greek word there. It's a real slang, dirty word for sewer contents. And that's what Paul talks about, all that he thought was good, everything he was striving for, all that, he considers it skubala. Paul continues as he shares with the Philippians what he strives for in life, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. Critical to understanding what Paul means here is more Greek words. A Greek word called teleos. It means to attain a goal, at least in this section. It means to attain a goal. Now we recognize that prefix word tele. We have lots of things to begin with it. Telephone, telegram, television. It implies something being transmitted. And I'll come to that, back to that thought in a minute. But in this passage, Paul uses the word teleos twice. The first one appears in the preceding sentence. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my teleos, my goal. And Paul describes a goal like a finish line. Something you complete. Something you can finish. And what he's probably alluding to is probably taking a swipe at a brand of religion in Greek society at the time known as the mystery religions. Anybody ever heard of the mystery religions of the Greco-Roman world? Some of you have. They were like secret knowledge societies. And they believed the spiritual life was a gradual ascent to higher levels of insight. Eventually where you arrive at completion where you know all there is to know where you know all there is to know. Have you ever known anybody who's part of the mystery religion? Maybe they're sitting beside you. Don't raise your hand. Where they think they know all there is to know. Have you ever given birth to one of those? Don't raise your hand. Paul makes it clear. Don't confuse their way of thinking with Christianity. I haven't arrived at my teleos, my goal, he says. This isn't the kind of religion that we are about. You don't arrive. You're always growing, always learning, always improving. He continues, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Now, why did Christ take hold of Paul? Why did Jesus stop Paul in his tracks when he was a Pharisee on the road to Damascus to hunt Christ's followers? Well, Christ did to turn Paul into his servant. Paul's most frequent description of himself was, I, Paul, a servant 
of Jesus the Christ. What, what, what time is it? Okay, good, just checking, all right. I just want to make sure, because we have communion today, and I don't want you to get out later than the Baptists, because they messed up the lines at dinner, at lunch, I mean. So we want to get you out in time. But anyway, many scholars believe that most of the time when Paul's describing himself as a servant, he has a particular kind of servant in mind, in mind, where they rode. This is what many scholars believe that Paul had in mind, an under rower. When you are an under rower, you don't get to say which way the ship goes. You don't get to steer. You just get to row. And when you're an under rower, you don't get to determine the speed. Someone else is banging out the pace to keep as a rower. You can't even come and go as you please. You are chained there. And Paul says, that's who I am now. That's what I live for. I want to be an under rower for the cause of Christ. That's what stretches me. That's what makes me strain so that I can help others get to the place of the Christ, of knowing the one who comes for all. This is about a, as counterintuitive as you can get. I imagine that people at the time of Paul scratched their heads reading Paul, hearing Paul, and thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Because everything in their society, not ours, but everything in their society gave them a different message. Everything around them said the goal in life is to be happy. The goal in life is to be satisfied. The goal in life is to have financial security. The goal in life is to have a great education. The goal in life is to get a crown one day and sign a lucrative endorsement deals that get your picture on a Wheaties box. That's the goal in life. Nothing wrong with all those things at all. But are they what we're striving for? And Paul would say, if you want to make that what you strive for, your whole goal in life, go ahead. And you'll find the futility of it. Maybe some of you here already know that. Paul says, we all have to figure this out for ourselves. He says, I'm just telling what I found. When I quit trying to strive for all these things for myself, I then found life. That's what Jesus has said. He who would lose his life will find it. Paul's telling the Philippians it's true. He's saying that is right. I wonder if that might be why more Americans aren't happier because we have had a hard time letting go of striving for ourselves in life and in that manner we don't gain life at all study after study shows how we have more than anyone in the world bigger homes bigger cars more land more stuff we're busier travel more but when asked are you happy again study after study the average person in the United says well I'm trying to be well kind of I'm striving for, that's my goal. I'm not there yet. What if we let go? What if we tried out the truth that actually do get back, you actually do get back more than you give if you're giving? I know that's so cliche and we may say in our head, but what if we really got it? When I think about it, maybe perhaps the problem isn't striving. After Paul after all, Paul is saying it's what he does, but it's what we're striving for. Paul comes back to this word teleos. I know you're excited to hear about it. It appears a second time, but with a very different meaning. All of us who are teleos, mature, should take this, this view of these things. Now, this is a different use of the same word teleos that he came to the goal, the finish line. Teleos doesn't mean goal or arrival, but maturing. Maturing. Paul says 
That's why I never reach the goal, because I'm maturing, I'm growing. Don't think, says Paul, that I am perfect model of Christianity. I struggle to live out everything I write and tell you. I'm not there. I get selfish. I get demanding. My anger gets in the way. I hurt people. I ruin friendships. I am far from complete, but I'm striving. I'm striving to let Christ have more of me than yesterday. Today, more than yesterday. You ever find yourself striving? Maybe it isn't striving. Maybe it's what are you striving for? Crossing a finish line, winning a prize, that's not the goal. Striving itself is part of the goal. I want to grow in Christ. I want to allow Christ to work through me more and more every day. That's what I'm striving after. Don't worry about how perfect you are or are not. Don't worry about how far you feel you have to go. Just strive, strive. You don't know, Ron. I didn't know him either till he visited our church. And then he came again with his wife the second time. And they kept coming, and I finally said, you know, Ron, let, actually, he asked me, hey, I'd like to take you to lunch. I said, sure. And so we went to lunch. Ron, at the time, was probably about mm, 60. But we have some of these guys here at our church at Front Street. He was slender and about 6'2". He looked like he stepped out of a magazine cover. You know, just one of those guys, everything was always put together just right. And so I had lunch with them. I learned they had moved to Chapel Hill from Texas. And I said, well, Ron, what brought you from Chapel Hill to Texas and you're, you know, here now? He said, well, my granddaughter. And I'm like, oh, okay. He said, um, we moved here because uh, my granddaughter has special needs that here in Chapel Hill they help her with, and we were flying her back and forth, back and forth. I said, oh, so you moved here for her? I'm like, yeah. I said, okay, Ron, you've got to fill in the blanks. How in the world this happened? He said, well, Ray, he said, for years and years, I just wanted to have money and be successful. He said, I have a high school education. I don't have any college or post-grad or grad work. He said, and I started as a salesperson. To make a long story short, I ended up in medical sales, and then a company saw my work, and now I buy hospitals. I travel the country, and I buy hospitals that are in trouble. That's my job. I said, oh. He said, so I can live anywhere I want to live. And he said, you know, at times I've ostracized my son and my daughter because I felt I had to make a living and be the best. And we had everything we could ever want, anything money could buy. And then my daughter had my granddaughter, who is beautiful. But we're not so sure how many words she understands. And he said, my pastor in Texas kept bothering me and bothering me about going to this thing called Emmaus Walk. Any of you ever been to Emmaus Walk in here? Yeah, some of a couple of you. And so I went. For those who don't know, Emmaus is our retreat weekend, really asking you what is the meaning for you and your life in Christ. And he said, I always strove and strove and strove and tried to get better. And he said, it just hit me. He said, why are you flying your daughter and your son-in-law and your granddaughter and you and your wife back and forth from Texas all the time. Why don't you just move there? 
So we did. And so I asked my son-in-law to leave his job. And let's move to Chapel Hill. He said, I bought my son and my daughter-in-law, my son-in-law and my daughter a house. We bought us a house. And he said, Ray, all these years I thought I was striving. He said, and then I felt guilty for what I have earned and the money I have. He said, but then, he said, it just hit me. He said, I'm not sure this is the answer, but it's the answer for me. Ron, you thought all that striving was for you. It was for them. Showing them the love and grace of Christ. He said, so Ray, when I came to that, I told my son-in-law, he said, I want you to quit your job. And your number one job is to love my daughter and to love my granddaughter. And I'll pay you full time for that work. I'll provide you a home. Just do it. And everything I have, everything we have is going to belong to you guys and his son. He said, but the most important thing you have right now is that little girl and my little girl. He said, Ray, now I know. I didn't know, but I know that is what God called me to do, was to strive, because I didn't know what was coming my way. He said, now what I want to do, I want to provide for my family, but then I want to give it all away. It's all God's. That's why I'm here today. He said, I want to join your church. He said, we want to give, not just financially, we want to give of ourselves. He said, in a way, it's my penance for all that striving and the way of thanking God for being graceful. What are you striving for? What are you in the race for? I can't answer that for you. But I know the one who can. Christ.